you are a note taker, this morning's message is Heaven's Best Hope for the Heart. Heaven's Best Hope for the Heart. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, reading the 13th through the 15th verse, it reads, Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Would you say the phrase with me, has come to pass? So apparently these uh, shepherds that were in the field had an awareness of a prophetic promise that was yet to be fulfilled. Somewhere in the course of their upbringing, they had heard that a Messiah was coming. It had yet to come to pass But now, upon this announcement by the angel, they came to a place where they realized what had come to pass had come to pass, or what had been promised to come to pass has come to pass. And so, it caused them to go into the city with a great bit bit of expectation, confident expectation. We would define that as hope. This scripture communicate so many wonderful truths to us. Heaven and earth were joining together, the possibility of God and mankind being reconciled, forgiveness for the sin-stricken soul, hope for the hopeless, pardon for the guilty, peace for the confused, good news for the lost, for the wounded, for the wayward. Christmas, this time of the year, Advent, should be a time of renewed hope. Not only Christmas hope, but Christian hope. Hope in Jesus Christ. Hope that despite The depravity of man's soul, God can bring order out of chaos. God can bring light into darkness. God can rearrange our life and make all things new. But Christmas is even more personal because of this proclamation by the angels, by the awareness of the shepherds that a prophetic promise had come to pass, of a haste to make it into the city with a heart filled with hope that they would actually encounter God in the flesh, the incarnate one, the one who has always been and yet came into the world in bodily form. And Christmas is personal. Christmas is personal with you and I as Christians. The angel who said, and she shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In Matthew 121, this very portion of scripture was touching the very heart of our need. The heart of our need was someone to come and to reconcile us to God. The issue was sin and its power to separate us from God. And we were incapable. We did not have the power. We did not have the means to be reconciled with God without God intervening on our behalf. Unfortunately, people today would rather not talk about sin. They don't want to face the reality of this spiritual disease that has bitten each and every one of us. It reminds me of a story that I heard about a man who found conversation about cancer to be very distasteful. And when the subject came up, he would walk away, wouldn't even stay in the presence of those that were conversing about this subject matter. He would not consent to any yearly examinations. He would not permit x-rays or tests to be done in his body. But one day, Having experienced a loss of weight and appetite, he was persuaded to have a physical examination in which the doctors found cancer of large proportion. And so it is with sin and the subject matter of sin. 
Man is reluctant to discuss it. Man does not want to interact around that subject matter. They would rather ignore it, walk away from it. That's our tendency. We even create walls of resentment towards those that are trying to share with us that we have a need that only God can meet. We feel like they're judging us, being critical, condescending. We say, who are you to talk about my sin? What business of that is yours? And humanity is in a funky place right now in their head because this is something we all share together. This is not an exclusive conversation pointing a finger at one individual or one people group. Sin has infiltrated the heart of every single human being. And that's why hope in Christ is so important. It gives us a path that we can walk on. I'm not sure if you've ever felt like you don't have hope. Scripture even describes us at one time when we were apart from God as a people that did not know God, did not have a covenant with God, were without God, and therefore were without hope. Without God, there is no hope. But with God, there is hope. And that is the good message of, of the Bible, is that hope has come into this world. Hope actually manifested was born, came in human form, hope, hope in Jesus Christ. And this this denial of sin and its power and what it's produced is, is a horrible way to go about living. It's like the man who denied, you know, that cancer could ever touch his body, could ever infiltrate his body and wouldn't submit himself unto caring physicians or to an examination, and one day he found out he was full of it. He was full of it, and that it was killing him. And that is such an easy parallel, if you think about it, with the way people treat the subject matter of sin. And we have to, we have to understand that we're not pointing fingers, we're not condemning, we are, are not judging, we are not acting superior, we're not being self-righteous. We're trying to get them into a place where the Holy Spirit can help them to see through Christ they can have a new life. Through Christ they can be reconciled to God. And so this resentment sometimes that, you know, we encounter when we're sharing the gospel may be the revelation of the real reason that people are reluctant to talk about sin. It's fear. I believe many people already know that sin is present in their life in large proportion. But there's a remedy for sin. And that remedy is Jesus Christ. We know that no doctor or psychiatrist in the world can treat or cure the deadly disease of sin that has penetrated the life of every man. This took a spiritual work. Someone had to come from heaven to earth to take care of this need. And this isn't something that we're capable of giving to one another. While doctors have their place, psychologists have their place, and they serve humanity and they help humanity, many times what they're dealing with is temporal issues. Only God can deal with spiritual or eternal issues. And so, therefore, Jesus came. Jesus came for this very same reason. And while we thank God for the doctors and the psychiatrists that work on our symptoms and our ailments and our pains and our hiccups and our hang-ups, 
They cannot help us when it comes to sin and what it has produced, separation from God. They cannot get rid of the disease of sin, which is shame and guilt and condemnation. Only Jesus can cure and heal the effects of that sin. And it was for this reason that heaven sent Jesus to earth. Scripture says he came to save us from our sins. This is why his birth, his cross and his resurrection are foundational to our faith. It's been said that he was born to die. And I believe that I think Jesus understood the purpose for which he was brought into the world. He saw it in Scripture, and in seeing it, he understood the path that he had to take of suffering. But that leads us to the cross. He had to die on that cross to bear our sins and to take away the sins of the world. It was at the cross that the great transaction happened where our sin was placed on him so that his righteousness upon his resurrection could be given unto us. Righteousness, one of the beautiful ways that it's described in Scripture, is a robe of righteousness. God actually clothes us in righteousness, His righteousness. It is a gift that God gives unto us. Not only does He save us from our sin, He wraps us in righteousness, which means that there's no shame, no guilt, no condemnation. All of the symptoms of sin are removed when the code of righteousness is placed on our back as sons and daughters. There's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Jesus bore our shame on the cross. And Jesus fully embraces us as his own people. We were without a God. We were without covenant. Therefore, we were without hope. But now we have hope because of Jesus Christ. This not only impacts our life now, the quality of our life, it impacts the quality of our life eternally. Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. He is the preeminent one. Before him, everything, and after him, everything coincided through him. He is the all in all. Because Christmas is not Christmas, honestly, without the message of the birth or the death, or the resurrection of Christ. There's a thread that goes all the way through those three messages. The Virgin Mary giving birth to Jesus gave the message on the first Christmas night to all of humanity. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This Christmas message says that God's grace is greater than our sin. It gives us hope. It declares that the cross of Christ was the only way to pay for the penalty of mankind's sin. In Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul does an incredible job of communicating this truth. In verse 6 and reading down through verse 11, I want you to follow along and really understand what the Scripture is saying to us this morning. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. It tells me there that all of us, without exception, have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When we were still without strength, strength to do anything to reconcile ourselves to God, there was no avenue, no path forward. In due time, Christ came in the fullness of time. There was an appointed time for Christ to come. And all of the prophets and the prophecies in the Old Testament pointed to that one 
moment in history when Christ would be born. And there are over 300 prophetic scriptures given in the Old Testament pertaining to the Messiah, which Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. The mathematical probabilities are more than our mind can even fathom. It's, it's like one to 157,000 zeros behind it. it it's, it's a number that, you know, just runs off the calculator. But Jesus is God and man. 100% deity, 100% humanity. And this is the hope that we have. The reason that we have hope is because he became like us so we could become like him. And he gave us a deposit of his spirit in our heart. And earnest, if you're into real estate, you understand earnest money, good money. It means in good stead, you have the rest of the money is coming. And Jesus purchased us with his own blood upon the cross. And then on the third day, he was resurrected and he's alive forevermore. And this gives us hope in this life because there is a life that is to come. And he has prepared and is preparing a place for us, what? With the Father. Because it was for that purpose that he came, to reconcile us to the Father. People that feel like there's no way out, there's no way forward, there's no way to get out of the mess that I I am in, is what the first verse of Romans chapter 5 is communicating without strength. But yet in that moment, in that epiphany in our own life that we are undone and we are without God, God himself died for the ungodly. It says in verse 7, for scarcely, you know what scarcely means? It means not that often, doesn't happen every day. For scarcely, for scarcely, For a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. You are saved. And you are saved and protected and preserved from the wrath or the judgment of God that is to come. Because you and I have accepted Christ, we are preserved and protected. We are saved. We are his beloved. We are his offspring. He has adopted us. He has welcomed us into his family. We are the sheep of his fold. He knows each and every one of us by name. He calls us by name. He goes before us and he leads us. This is who Jesus is. This is why we have hope in this life. But we also have hope because there is a pending judgment. But we, we who have accepted Christ, will be at the reward seat. We will not be at the great white throne judgment of God. It goes on and it says in verse 10, for if. When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. There needs to be an awareness. I I am always sort of acutely aware of those who understand the power of the resurrection, because there is always a glimmer of hope in their eye 
regardless of what is happening here right now. That they have something to rejoice about. That the end has already been taken care of. The work has been completed. And we are now, present tense, reconciled to God. Being reconciled means that you and I are in a relationship with God. And being in a relationship with God means that He is going to fulfill His part in that relationship. He's going to do all things that He said He's going to do. We have great hope because of that. Romans 5, 6-11 through 11 tells us the penalty was paid for mankind's sin. It proclaims that the sin question was answered on the third day when an empty tomb, with an empty tomb and a resurrected Savior. Jesus is alive and according to Revelation 1.18 holds the keys of hell and death by conquering the grave. You know, I've grown up uh, a good portion of my life in the church and, and you hear this phrase that Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. Well, And Scripture really never includes the word grave. In Revelation 1.18, it says he conquered hell or Hades and death. But how did he do that? I'm not saying that that's an inappropriate phrase. It's not, you know, theologically incorrect. But what I'm saying is, is that when Jesus was resurrected and he took the keys, which represent the authority of hell and death, and he holds them, it was because the grave could not hold him. The grave could not hold him. And because of that, I have hope. I I have hope because I've been reconciled to God. Not one day, but right now today. I'm welcome in the presence of God. He bids me to come. There's an open invitation to come as often as we want. And where do we come? We come to this throne. This beautiful, majestic throne of grace and mercy to find help in an hour of need. In an hour of need... The human heart needs hope. It needs to know that there's a path forward. It needs to know that there's a dawn of a new day. It needs to know that God can take all the wrongs and make them right. That he has eradicated all of the stain of sin. Therefore, all the shame of sin, the condemnation of sin, the guilt of sin. And where is it? It's all been done away with. And what do we have instead? We have a robe of righteousness, which speaks of acceptance, which speaks of belonging, covenant. This is something that should cause the human heart to rejoice. And we rejoice in this. Notice, if there's anything worth rejoicing in, it has to be real to you. It has to be real. People don't rejoice over things that aren't realistic or aren't true or aren't a revelation in their own heart. When you have a revelation that Jesus came and His birth and then His vicarious death on the cross and His glorious resurrection is what this season is all about. And we light a candle symbolically because light has come into the world, a very dark world, a very desperate world, a very very broken world, and light is going to destroy the power of darkness is going to take care of the concern of death and the fear of death and has given us reservations in heaven and has made sure that we're reconciled with the Father. So while we're walking on this earth, 
we can walk around as those that are accepted and the beloved of the Lord. We can walk around with a knowledge that we are His. The story of Christmas is a beautiful portrait of a magnificent plan of God. Everything happened exactly as it was supposed to. Heaven's best, which is Jesus Christ, God sent his very best, gives hope to the heart of humanity, hope for the forgiveness of sins, hope for the reconciliation with our heavenly father and hope for this life and the life that is to come. But during this season, I can't enter into this season without thinking of the thousands of people in our area who are hurting, who are lonely, who are separated from God, who are troubled in their soul, not only at this time of the year, but throughout the year. Christmas to me is a reminder that God himself declared and shouted that we are not alone. The prophet Isaiah said his name would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Therefore, let us follow the example of the shepherds on the night they heard the good news of Jesus. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 2 and verse 17, it says, Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. Upon hearing this good news and the shepherds recognizing that what they heard was just one of many scriptures that had been fulfilled, they ran with haste into the city to see the thing that had been told unto them. But they didn't keep it to themselves. They went everywhere and shared the gospel. When you have that kind of hope, when you've experienced the resurrection of Jesus Christ in your life, that impacts every conversation and every relationship with, within your world for the glory of God. It doesn't mean every conversation is revolved around spiritual matters, but you're aware that at any moment, at any time, in any conversation with anyone at any place, that you have an opportunity to glorify God because of the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. We have hope, which is not just wishful thinking, but it's based on the reality of his birth, his incarnation, the way that it all came to fruition. A virgin did conceive and bear a son. His name was called Emmanuel. He was born exactly in the time frame in which history required for him to be born. He completed every task his heavenly father gave unto him. He suffered. He was resurrected. He defeated hell and death. He holds the keys and he has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. This is why we're humbled when we come to this time of the year to think that God in all of his infinite wisdom chose to bring salvation in such an innocent and fragile package that would rise up and shake heaven and earth and everything under the earth so that we could be reconciled to the father. Jesus is worth our worship. He's worth celebrating, rejoicing over. We need to speak of him. We need to honor him. We need to interject him into conversations. We never need to be ashamed of him, draw back from him, 
be concerned about what people say of us because of him. We need to lose our ego and reputation and get wrapped up in his glory and his goodness. We need to be aware that while I was without strength, Christ died for me. When I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. And he couldn't have died unless he was born. So he was born so he could die. He died so that he could be resurrected. He was resurrected so you and I could have eternal life. This is a message of hope. And why is it so prevalent that we hear it over and over again? Is because we live in a very condescending, cynical, negative world of darkness. But the light still dispels the darkness. I pray that we would make widely known the sayings of Jesus in our generation. Make widely known the sayings of Jesus. Who is it that you can begin to consider having a conversation with Jesus about during this season? I believe the Holy Spirit will lead and guide each and every one of us. In Luke 2.14, the angel declared, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And that's a hard pill to swallow, honestly. If you were just to look at the world from a natural perspective, you would say that it doesn't look like any of that is a reality whatsoever. But we have to understand, Jesus wasn't talking about an outward manifestation as much as he was talking about an inward reconciliation of the heart of man to the heart of God the Father. When you're at peace with God, then you carry peace with you in every environment in which you and I walk. It's just a matter of letting the peace of God rule and reign in our heart, permitting it. It's there. We have to permit it. This hope that we have is not fleeting, not fading, not wishful thinking. It's a hope that Scripture describes in this way, you have an anchor for your soul, hope. It tells me, stormy seas are inevitable. Storms are going to come. But what keeps me from being moved and battered and beaten and feeling hopeless is I am tied and anchored to Jesus Christ. I'm anchored to him. And though this outward man perish. This inward man is being renewed day by day. And though this outward man may decay and one day fail, breathe his last breath and go into the grave. The grave has been defeated. Death has been defeated. Sin has been defeated. And there is now a path through our forerunner, Jesus Christ, right into the presence of our Heavenly Father. For everyone. There is this hope that we have, and I'll finish with this, of one day having this incredible reunion. You know, many of you over the holiday season traveled afar to be with family or family have traveled afar to be with you. And there was this reconnection, this reminiscing, and conversations began to flow because you're related, you're family, and they picked up right where they left off the last time you were together. And so it's going to be one day when... We're all in the presence of the Lord. All of those that have preceded us, we'll just pick up the conversation. We'll come from all directions. We'll come from afar to that one place 
that we've all been drawn to, and that's into the Father's house. And there we will ever be. We'll ever be in the Father's house with our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And we will reminisce and we will remember and we will worship and we will serve and rejoice in the presence of the Lord forever. This is why hope is so important for the human heart. Because without it, we give up. We throw in the towel. But Christ came to lift us up out of that miry clay and put our feet upon a rock, put an anchor in our life into him so that we would always have hope. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness. And I thank you this morning as we've gathered and begun to celebrate and rejoice in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ that, Lord, we have been reminded of why you came, the necessity of your coming and the reality of what you actually did when you came so that, Lord, everything could be prepared for us. You didn't have to come, but you chose to come. God, you didn't have to send your son, but you sent your son. And now because of everything that has been done, your spirit is here working, drawing, wooing mankind back to you. And I thank you. I thank you that, Lord, you would use each and every one of us, not only in this season, but all the seasons of our life to be good ambassadors and good ministers of reconciliation and to share the hope that we have of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, Amen. I want to invite you to stand up. For those that are online, I want to visit with you for a minute. I want to read a portion of Scripture. It's going to come up on your screen. It's found in John's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 12. And it says, But as many as received him, talking about Jesus, to them, to them that received him, he gave the right or the privilege to become the children of God. How? To those who believe in his name. If you look at that verse, the, the word believe and receive are synonymous. For those that, that have received him, he gave the privilege. Isn't it a privilege to be called the children of God? To be called his sons and daughters? To be reconciled to our creator, our maker, our Lord, our savior? What a great day that was for us. That day where we received the gift of salvation because we believed in what? The name of Jesus. And what did we believe about the name of Jesus? We believe the name of Jesus was greater than our sin. We believe that Jesus' name was more powerful than our shame, our guilt, our fear, or the condemning accusations of the devil himself. We believe that Jesus is Lord. And in believing that, we received his lordship in our life and at that moment, in that moment in history, we became his sons and daughters. But perhaps you're watching and you've never received this gift of eternal life. Maybe you've never understood your need for it, but this morning you can say, I have a clearer picture, more of an understanding of why Jesus was born and why Christians have hope in the midst of all of the despair. It's because... Jesus is in their heart. The God of hope is in their heart. And regardless of what's going on 
and how wayward the world is, they're at peace with God. And perhaps you're ready to make that step of faith today because that's what it takes. It takes a step of faith. It's not your strength. It's not mine. It's our faith in the salvation of Jesus Christ and his work that makes us his sons and daughters. And so in order to receive that gift, you do it by faith, which means you'd simply acknowledge Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm going to lead us all in a confession of faith. And for those that are online or even maybe you're here today and you know that you need to make this declaration from the depths of your heart. Perhaps you have stepped away from the hope that you have in Christ and have begun to sort of wander. I want to encourage you, get anchored again in Christ. Get rooted in Christ. Stay rooted in Christ. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.